hope everybody's having an awesome first day of the week. It is the first day of the week. It's the day that God says it's time to hit the reset button on everything that's been going on in your life so that you can refocus on that relationship that you have with me and, and, and my people. That would be us. And as we just think about how that comes to bear on, on what we're doing, uh, we are launching a new message series called The Road Less Traveled. And I don't know if any of you have ever heard of a book that was written by a fellow by the name of M. Scott Peck uh, that was entitled exactly that. But my predecessor, Jack Austin, uh, had, had referenced the book a few times and also had uh, some seminars with the author. And the whole premise of the book was there are a lot of crazy things happening in the world around us. And this was in the 80s and 90s. And there are a lot of people that are very anxious and confused about how they manage that landscape that they live in. And they're not really doing very well. And so he wrote this book and it ended up being on the New York Times bestseller list for literally months. And the things that he wrote in the book I think still have uh, value today uh, because our problems, I'm guessing, uh, have intensified if, if nothing else. And maybe you're like me, you're thinking, I have never in the course of my life seen things so crazy. See things just come unglued like they've come unglued. Seeing weirdo cult leaders in North Korea aiming nuclear bombs at us. Presidents like the type of president that we have. Mass shootings in Nevada. And just on and on and on. It just is bonkers, uh, the world around us. And yeah, it is so bonkers, it's funny. And as, as, we just have to laugh or cry, don't we? And as God set us into these circumstances, in this time, in this place, in this day, he has a word for us. And it is a word that says, no matter what is going on out there, I have paved for you a road less traveled and you need to follow it because it is the only way that you will be able to make sense in light of all the senseless things that you have to face in the course of your day and I'm so grateful that we have the scripture that it is such a powerful foundation for how we live but I am even more grateful that the whole purpose of the scripture is to point us to the one who is himself the true knowledge. He's the one that gives us what we need to find our way along the way. Maybe you can relate, maybe you can't, but I, I just want to tell a brief story that um, uh, maybe illustrates what I, I feel like in my own, in my own experience uh, captures the feeling. Uh, a few months back, my, my daughter had just moved into an apartment in Corning, New York. And we had borrowed a trailer so that we could haul stuff over to her apartment and dump, or drop it off. It wasn't like we were trying to get rid of anything. We were just trying to get rid of most things. And I was hoping that our trailer would actually be bigger so that we could give her more stuff. We could bless her with more stuff. But truth be told, it was only so big and there was only so much stuff that we could deliver and we did 
And after we did, we got in the car and we began to drive back to Ohio. On a highway, I had only been on once, and I wasn't really sure exactly uh, what the lay of the land looked like. And it would have been fine had it not been for the fact that pretty shortly after we got out of Corning and onto the highway, uh, there was um, a torrential downpour. And it, it it just came upon us very suddenly. But it was so intense that as we were driving down the road, we were really unable to see anything except just a few feet in front of us. And we're in my wife's uh, forerunner, and we're pulling this trailer, and I'm barreling down the road. And I also, at the time, had been a little bit cheap on purchasing new tires for her car. And uh, they were kind of like those racing tires, you know, without any tread. So can you imagine having those kind of tires on your car in a rainstorm on a highway that has ruts? It gets real interesting. And you couple that with a guy who has a need for speed, it gets crazy in its own right. And yet, as I'm barreling down the road in her car with this trailer on the back of it, we came to a a Y in the intersection. And I couldn't read the signs. I I didn't know uh, which way to go, but it seemed obvious to me because we were bearing uh, towards the west that the road on the left would naturally be uh, the choice. So I just kind of followed that thinking it's going to take me exactly where I need to wind up at uh, because intuitively it just made so much sense. But because of the torrential downpour, I was unable to even realize that as it bared off to the left, it pretty shortly began to head to the north, actually underneath the highway that we were just on. And as we're driving north, I'm looking at some of the landscape and some of the features of the, of the properties that are alongside the road, and there's, there's just enough of a let up in the rainstorm that it, it becomes somewhat confusing to me that the things that I'm looking at aren't things that I saw on the way there, but I'm like, well, maybe I wasn't paying careful enough attention. Well, by the time uh, uh, we got to a sign that we could visibly see, it indicated that Rochester, New York, was just 10 miles away. And my wife looked at me and she says, I think we made a wrong turn. And I said, no, honey, this is all part of the plan. This is exactly what I had planned to do to begin with. And she looks at me and I said, besides, whatever detour this creates for us, even though it is part of the plan, just imagine how much time that will free up for us to be together. You can, you can hear eyes rolling in the passenger seat next to you. I didn't know that until that moment because I was too busy glued to the road because of the rain. But the problem was I couldn't see any of the signage to get my bearings. I couldn't see where I was going. I, I had no real sense of how to, how to find direction in all the craziness that was happening around me. And the thing that I, I, I realized is that as we're going down the road under these conditions, it's really just a physical landscape describing a spiritual landscape that people who come into the, this worship center every week have to go through. Our, our minds are like a, a filter and we're taking in stuff all week long about what it, what it means to live here on earth. And a lot of that stuff is just, it, it's crazy. And we come here trying to maybe decontaminate a little bit, but maybe we come here because we're trying to get 
our bearings, aren't we? As God calls us into this place, he's saying this is the place where you get your orientation to how you spend the next six and a half days of your life. It is an opportunity for you to do that with me and with other people and with my word. It is a way of just saying, set this time apart and you'll begin finding your way. Well, if what I described to you is in any way resonant with your life, uh, perhaps uh, it, it, maybe it'll come as a surprise to you, maybe not, that this has been the case with the church for a very long time. Back in the book of uh, first books of First and Second Corinthians, there, there's of course is a church there that is living under conditions that parallel in a lot of ways, without the type of technology that we have, the craziness that we are experiencing here in our lives, the disorientation that's going on. And Paul wrote not just two letters to this church. I mean, he wrote more letters to this church than any other place. I think because this location had so many bizarre things going on. It was so vibrant. There was so much travel. There was so much uh, commerce and just a whole mixture of different cultures and things converging on that place that Paul said, those Christians in Corinth... They're, they're struggling. And the whole book really is written to help Christians who are struggling with things in the world that they have to face that Paul said, I'm going to take some issues and we're going to talk about them. And one of them was places that you go to eat. Now you wouldn't think that that would be a big deal for church, would it? Other than hopefully we get out early enough to beat the Presbyterians to whatever place we go to after this. But in the first century, eating out was a thing like it is now. And maybe you have a favorite eatery that you go to, perhaps. You know, that one place that you're like, man, if we got the time and we have the opportunity, we're going there. And just think about that place for a minute. And then go back 2,000 years. Imagine yourself a Christian sitting in a pew, thinking about after the sermon, we're going to go there. But there was kind of an interesting place because alongside the, the meal that was being presented was also uh, a, a part of the facility where you could go and make a, an offering to an idol. And that idol would be something in your mind that told you that you, if you have a deep need in your life, whatever it is, if it's a relationship, if it's financial, if it's business, if it's just something personal you need to work through, chances are there's an idol there. And if you offer some meat, some choice meat to that idol to be sacrificed, that idol quite possibly will do something in sort of a weird supernatural way to help you get over that problem. And that was a common belief. And the church at Corinth pretty much looked at that and said, that, that's concerning. We're not sure what to make of that. And I, I want to uh, just look at for, uh, for, for just a, a minute. If you have your Bibles with you, you can turn there if you like. I'm just going to describe some of the things within the scripture uh, for the sake of time. But it's chapter 8 verses 1 through 13. Paul just lays out a whole case story on this. And this is what he said. Alright, let's talk about food. And he said, the food that's offered to idols, you know, at the restaurant that you like to go to after church or wherever, where some people go and some people say, I don't go in there, there anymore. We know that all of us possess knowledge. Now, where's he going with this? The, the knowledge that we think about sometimes, it actually sort of puffs us up. And it makes us feel like, look, 
we used to be those people that ate at that place and gave meat to those priests who would offer it to those idols. We don't do that anymore. And there were even Jewish people who said, we never did that. We would never do that. You know what it says in Deuteronomy. Uh, there's only one God and one God only. And we should worship and serve him exclusively. We don't even walk on the same side of the street as those restaurants. And so there was a combination of those different mixes of people from Jew and Gentile backgrounds who had an interesting relationship or non-relationship with those restaurants. But there were some of them who had gone to those restaurants all their lives. And the thing about those restaurants is they not only had opportunities for you to curry favor with the gods by giving them a nice, a nice uh, uh, side of beef, but you could also curry favor in the back room and because I want to keep it PG, this was the type of thing that involved men, women, and children in dark and, dark and, and, and really uh, bizarre ways that, uh, that, that, that boggle the mind. And it was this world that many people were caught up in. And they were finding themselves going into that place, having basically all of their understood needs met in that environment and walking out of there still not feeling good in their soul still feeling like there's something missing and along comes Paul and the good news that Jesus has a better way and a lot of people said we're ready to hear that because we're doing that and that ain't getting it but we, but we don't have any other choice because there's nothing better in town. And yet you're saying there is some knowledge, but it's really, it's really more than knowledge. It's a relationship with a person who has the best knowledge possible. And they're finding that through Paul and the good news, they are coming to know who Jesus is through the word. But more importantly, they're coming to have knowledge of him in a deep and personal way. Some of those people, maybe you, maybe you have this, this, this set of circumstances in your life. You've been following the Lord for a while. But really, if you think about it, the only time you really pray is when you eat a meal or when you go to bed. And maybe you're praying the prayer, uh, like my dad taught me, now I lay me down to sleep, you know that prayer. And, and you're thinking, that, that's pretty much where I'm at, Pastor. And I'd like to move past that. Some of you have said, I, I used to do that and I still do that somewhat, but I've changed the now I lay me down prayer to something a little different. But I've also deepened my relationship with God. I found that when I go out there that it's crazy that it presses in on me in such a way that I feel like I need to bring God close because I can't get my bearings. And some of you have found that in the course of your day you're talking to God under your breath, you're praying, you're bringing your workplace problems to God, you're just in a meeting with, with somebody, you're praying about it in the meeting and after the meeting, and you're discovering that you're taking God with you everywhere you go, and you're deepening your knowledge of God, and pretty soon you realize, wow, the things that I face in life that were so difficult are no question still difficult, but I'm finding that God is working in those difficulties to bring about good things. I just see the pattern that his grace is emerging out of that. And I'm coming to know and love God on a deeper level. And there were people at the church of Corinth. 
who felt strongly that way. And Paul says, good for you. I am so thankful that you've come to an awareness that God is that deeper knowledge that you take with you everywhere. But here's the problem. A lot of us take that relationship that we have with Jesus, that personal relationship that we have with Jesus, and we make it, and we just keep it personal. It's just me and the Lord, me and the Lord. And Paul said, this is creating a problem. Because some people are, 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 are not realizing that when God shows his mercy on your life in the way that he has, he's doing that out of an incredible spirit of love. Coupled with a desire to provide for us at every turn like he did the people in the wilderness back in the day. And he not only loves us and provides for us, he keeps us secure in ways that we, 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 we don't even realize, but we know he's there. And if you're a believer and you have that kind of a relationship with God, you've, you've come to really experience what it means to walk in faith. Maybe you're a parent, and at one time you were a kid yourself. And you had the, the, the blessing of growing up in a family where mom and dad did love you unconditionally. They did provide for you. They did keep you secure. And in all of that, you never worried about those things. You never went looking for them anywhere else. And that kid grew up in a confident love and security and just began to live out responsibly the life that they were called to live. And God is saying that experience you had with your parents and you as the kid and now maybe you're the adult and you're thinking about that and you see the blessing of it or maybe you missed it and you see how important that was. God wants each of us to understand that is us with him. He is our father and he loves us deeply and he provides for us and he keeps us in a good place in a crazy world. And some of us have come into this room today and you've had challenges or burdens or fears that maybe you've never had before. And you know what God says? I still love you. I haven't abandoned you. I will provide for you, trust me. may not seem like it, but I'll be there because that's what I do. And a lot of us have hugely benefited from that. And God is saying the reason why, just like a parent says, the reason why I've tried to help you have those needs met is so that you can go and do what you do so well. To be responsible with your life and not be preoccupied with those needs because I've already got you covered. And some of us in the room aren't quite there yet in our trust because we haven't had that experience. Some of us in the room have said, yeah, I, I get it. I, I, I do trust you, Lord. I'm ready to move on. And some of us may be stuck there like, yeah, thank you, God. But... I am now free in Christ, and anyone who is free in Christ is free indeed for sure. But we could use our freedom to just be selfish. Just to do what we want to do. Because I am saved, God redeemed me, I am delivered. That's a crazy world out there, but I've got God and it is good. And God said to us at that place, you got to look a little farther. And in the story that I'm sharing, the first thing is there's a knowledge that we have that is embedded in the relationship that we have with God. It's that connection that we have with Him. 
And the people in the story had that. And Paul says, but you got to take it a little bit farther because there is an issue about eateries that are on the table. And, and so he says, but if anyone loves God, and he is known by God for sure, therefore, as to the eating of food offered to idols, we know that an idol, it's nothing. And that there is no God but one. And some were saying, we can eat in that place all we want. And others are saying, that's a scary place and it's making me fall back into bad habits. And Paul says, however, not all possess the knowledge that we're talking about here. You know, the knowledge of you and God. But some, through former association with idols, doing all those bad and dark things that habitually bound them, eat food as really offered to an idol. And their conscience being weak is defiled. And Paul writes, food not, will not commend us to God. We are no worse off if we do eat or we don't eat. No, no better off we do. But take care that this right of yours does not somehow become a stumbling block to the weak. You know where Paul's going with this? He's saying your faith isn't about you versus some other people. You versus you, a strong Christian, versus some weak people in the church. You know what Paul's saying? The church is not about you. And it's not about them. The church is primarily about us. And so we have to think through the eyes, not of me and what I want, or them and what they want. We have to think about us and what is best for us. And so Paul says, we're not thinking that way when it comes to our restaurants. All right, hang with me. Everybody still with me? Or are you like, checked out, pastor, thinking about the restaurant at the end of the tunnel, and just get me there quickly. Paul said, if anyone sees you have knowledge in eating an idol's temple, uh, will he not be encouraged if his conscience is weak to eat food offered there and you know what will happen next. And so by your knowledge, your knowledge, this weak person is destroyed. This brother for whom Christ died. Thus sinning against your brothers. And wounding their conscience when it is weak. You sin against Christ. Therefore, if my brother stumble, I will never eat meat. Lest I make my brother stumble. Alright, so where, where are we going with this? I just want to go back to my, the top of my slide deck there. Because in the road less traveled, it's a, it's a picture that I think God wants to embed in our minds. And the first picture is simply the equation of the cow plus the priest plus the, the, the offering and the fire. Basically a Christian is saying, I kind of like that. Just a little bit more well done. And other people are saying, ah, there is so much baggage associated with that. I just can't go there. And the mature, the mature Christian is saying, don't be ridiculous. God's already sorted all this stuff out. You can go there all you want. It'll be fine. But Paul is sensitive in his pastoral conscience. He knows 
There are things that trip people up. And then there are things that other people don't even bat an eye at. And he's trying to show not just the fact that we have some different degrees of uh, relationship to things. He's trying to show you and I that what we do matters for other people. And so as the equation unfolds, they ask the question, uh, you know, we, we know it's okay to eat that meat, but we also know that when we do, it, uh, it, it, it puts us into a dilemma, and we're trying to sort this out. And Paul said, dear Corinthians, <laughs> first things first. Do you remember me talking about love a minute ago? There is nothing in God's map for how we proceed down the road that is a bigger sign than the sign that depicts the love of Christ for all of humanity. That is the most important thing. Even with all the knowledge that you could possibly obtain, Love is the order of the day. It is the thing that differentiates us if we want to say us versus them. Because God is saying, I know that you're in Christ now. I know you're enjoying the freedom. I know you have peace that passes all understanding. I know you have the fruit of the Spirit. But they don't. And some of them who are coming on board are sort of like, they're sort of like this. They're not sure. They're anxious. You know, there's, there's been some surveys taken by um, uh, people who chart the well-being of our national psyche. And they ask a lot of questions. And in the course of asking those questions, they're trying to get a sense of what preoccupies the minds of the average American on any given day. What is the one thing that they're plagued by? And did you know, you know the number one response that keeps occurring over and over and over and over? What do you think it is? It is actually anxiety. Worry. And it's no surprise. Because the crazy world that we live in offers no consolation, does it? There is no foundation that you can plug into and say, finally, I've got a stable place to land. It's not there. The Bible actually uses a word, metanio, which means of two minds. It's a word for anxiety. And it's a way of saying you're thinking about this and you're thinking about that. But the two don't work together. Like, I trust God, but I'm afraid of what's happening in the world. God is my provider, but I don't know if he will provide for me. And then we're anxious. And God says to you and I, Don't be. We've taken care of that. Now you need to go in love. You need to stop thinking about yourself. You need to stop worrying about yourself. Obviously you need to take care of yourself for sure. Please take care of yourself. But don't think about yourself any more than you have to. And where Paul's going with this is he said, God has done a wonderful thing by setting us free. But the freedom that we have if we are truly loved and we're living in God's provision and security is actually an opportunity not to just be free to do whatever we want. It's an opportunity to be responsible for us. Because in God's eyes, the churches aren't, you know, 
Jews and Gentiles. God's not thinking, okay, we've got some different races here, or we have some different social classes here. God's not seeing that. God, when he looks at the church, he doesn't see old or young or whatever. All God sees is us. And when he sees us, his question is, how are we loving each other? How are we putting others first? How are we using that as an opportunity to grow out of selfishness? Use your freedom responsibly because church is actually about us. And as Paul is looking at that picture and painting it for him, he's basically saying, look, it's okay for you to have freedom for sure. Here it is. You can eat that meat all day long. But when you're thinking through the eyes of us, and you're seeing how it's causing somebody to fall down and get hurt, you need to think that through a little bit. Maybe we're not looking at, in our situation, food sacrifice to idols. I don't think that's an issue. I hope not. But maybe the issue isn't really that issue as much as selfishness. Just an unwillingness to see through any eyes but our own. And if you're like me, uh, I'd be the first to tell you, I'm the chief among sinners. And so it hits home even for me. But what Paul is saying, don't eat the meat around the person because you're putting your appetite and that awesome prime rib or T-bone steak or whatever it is that you're salivating over right now over this person I died for. That's your responsibility. And as God is looking at that, he's saying, I want to let you in on a little secret. You know how I'm talking about, this is about us. And Paul is saying, you know, we were saying, some follow Paul and some follow Paulus and there's divisions in the church. And you know what I'm saying here? It's not about any loyalties to anyone other than Jesus. It's got to be about us. But God's saying, I want to expand that a little bit because when you see yourself in your gatherings and you're thinking, we've got this wonderful knowledge and it's Jesus and it's so good, so good. And those guys out there, well, it's unfortunate, isn't it? They're so tripped up. And thankfully, we got it in order so we don't have to worry about that influencing us, do we? We can just kind of have our happy place here. But here's the secret. When God looks at this blue ball in outer space, he sees us. And he said, I died for all of them. And I want all of them to know me. I want all of them to be brought out of the craziness that is surrounding them. I'm even allowing them to go through it so that they will have the presence of mind to ask the question, how do I get off this crazy train? And when they do, you, my people, need to be there for them. So them and you 
can also become an us. One of my greatest concerns as a church leader is that we make it too much about us here or drill down a little deeper and make it about me, myself, rather than pivot outward and say, what are we for? Are we for what God is for? Are we for them so they can become us with us? It's your call. So I'm driving down the road in my wife's forerunner with a trailer, and I'm, I'm going, going pretty fast, and I'm actually the thrill seeker in me. I know this is twisted, so don't do it at home. I just like driving a little bit on the edge. And I noticed the car a couple of times sort of hydroplaned a little bit. Twice. My thought was, that was kind of fun. But when I looked over at my wife and she's white knuckling the dash, I'm like, oh, she is for some reason not deriving the same degree of pleasure that I am from this experience. She's scared to death. And if I get too careless, well, I could kill us all. And so rather than enjoy the freedom of driving like a madman with bald tires in a rainstorm where there's... And you're like, that guy's our preacher? (laughs) True, I have my own moments. Or do I look at the people around me and do I say, I need to do the responsible thing here. I need to do what is best for all interested parties. Even though if I crashed, it was her car, not mine. But that's notwithstanding the issue. Or, even though she rolled her eyes at me, I could take offense at that. No. There's no one more offending than us when it comes to the cross of Jesus. And God says, I love you that much. I'm going to do the responsible thing to make sure you know it. And God's saying to us, maybe it's time to step it up a little bit. Maybe it's time to begin to think about your life with me as us together. And I don't know where you're at in that equation. Maybe you're not part of us, but we're the, hopefully the one group in town that says we want nothing more than you to be a part of us. And maybe you are and God's saying, don't you think it's time to move out of your selfishness just a little bit? Take a little bit of that ego and begin to surrender it? So that we can do some more things together that will benefit more people. So that we can all be together as us. This whole environment is not for eating anything except a loaf and a cup that is the true worship of the true God. And it's designed to help us also to come into a relationship with that God to the degree that we may or may not be or continue to go further into it. God may be calling you into his family today and I I want you to know that's why we're here to help you with that. He may be calling you to take next steps into serving, into growing, into doing something as a volunteer here in a way that will just say, you know what? 
I'm moving away from my selfishness and I'm moving into the usness of what it means to be the body of Christ. And that's why we have the studio next door set up. Is so that it is very easy for you just to walk out of here and to walk into there and say to Brittany, I'm here for us. And she will help you all along the way to take that next step. I don't know where you're at with the Lord, but the Lord is always in the background of each of our lives, moving us into freedom if we need it, and when we find it into responsibility so that our lives can be lived for a greater purpose.